Hello and welcome back to Match Day Matinee, the podcast where we are forever ranking endless movies based on the beautiful game. I'm your host for the day, Adam, and I'm joined as ever by Mark. How are you doing, Mark? Hello, Adam. Hello. Good. And we have a special guest for today, our first ever special guest, referred to as the other Mark, but we'll call him Mark <laughs> Hamer. Uh, so it's my fellow Laps Gamer uh, podcast host, Mark Hamer. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks very much for having me on. So, before we get into today's film, guys, we're going to talk about what you're wearing. Uh, so I will kick off. I tried to find something. I was like, I don't have anything related to Eric Cantona. I absolutely hate the man. Uh, turns out I'm wrong. I have a Marseille shirt that I bought in the early days of uh, <laughs> lockdown when I was like, I'm going to buy all of the football shirts. And it's uh, last season's away kit. It has an Uber Eats logo on. I'm, <laughs> along with Amazon, Uber Eats are probably my most second supported local business during the lockdown. Uh, so, yeah. So, guys. That's not you- the... Um- Sorry, is that the sublimated one with the houses on it? No, not that one. That's, I think that's blue, isn't it? This has got this weird yeah. like pattern on the sleeve, like uh-huh. you know, like cheetah but black. It's really, it really doesn't yeah. really come out. But yeah, that's the one Marseille kit that I want to get. Yeah, the, it is uh, nice. The houses. Yeah. They did a cool <clears throat> release with uh, Dimitri Payet, I think, was like modeling that on some video or something. I think so. But yeah, so what are you guys wearing? Mark Hamer, tell us first. <laughs> uh, I am wearing a vintage pre-Mike uh, Ashley Newcastle uh, United shirt. Um, I was born in Gosforth, moved away at a very early age, which is why you can understand the words that are coming out of my mouth. Um, <laughs> uh, and I decided to wear this. Well, actually, I was going to wear my, um, in honor of the Euros, I was going to wear my old uh, Netherlands shirt. I got an old uh, Raphael van der Vaart uh, Netherlands shirt, uh, but I can't find it. It's packed away somewhere for when I moved house and I can't find it. Um, but um, I was, I looked, I looked him up just out of curiosity. I, was like, I wonder what old Raphael's doing these days since he stopped playing football. What if he's going to management or something like that? And I found out that since 2019, Raphael van der Vaart has been a professional darts player. <laughs> really yeah, yeah like doing decent or <clears throat> i couldn't find that much about his darts career on online but um he's won a few games um i know they're quite big in uh into darts in the netherlands but um yeah i couldn't find them so what well, this one which coincidentally can pop the collar on Beauty. This this is a classic. <laughs> when you think of iconic Newcastle shirts, it's this one, which was like Shearer's. And then I guess yeah. there's the other one, which had the blue star on it with a time bridge. Um, yes. Yeah. They're like iconic, like of that yeah. era, 90s kits. Um, and yeah. Mark. We haven't had a good kit since then. <laughs> no, you had a few dodgy ones, didn't you? Like Wonga supported you for a bit. Um, yeah, that's right. NTL, who yeah. went bust. Yeah, Virgin Money. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. And then now some betting company, is it? I yeah, some it. Chinese betting that's company, it. yeah. Okay. And wearing what I believe is a very snazzy TFC Pride shirt. Is this that one? It is. It's. Uh, I think it's the last TFC I ma- match I went to, which was June 2019. I picked it up on a whim. Uh, and it's kind of quickly became one of my favorite kits. It's the training kit from that that month that they had. Um, but yeah, I've worn it everywhere. I've taken it with me to a few vacations now, and it's kind of the perfect breathable material. Um, it's just enough pride without being kind of in your face, which is the one that they released this year. It was like a, a multicolored tie-dye, which oh, yeah. can't really pair with much unless no. you want to shout it out. Um, so yeah, it's the beauty of a shirt. Um, starting to wear out a bit on the sponsor, so heartbreaking a little bit but it's become one of my favorite tfc kits over over a decade now cool okay well thanks for indulging me and in talking about kits again i've got more despite having thought i'd stopped buying kits now i bought two this week i'm now into collecting <laughs> goalkeeper kits it would seem oh 90s goalkeeper kits uh early 2000s i got for Portsmouth, oh, but there okay. is one i'm watching that's early uh bishop when we used to be sponsored by bishops printers yeah uh, so yeah so maybe Okay, guys. 90s keeper kits were... Yeah. They were fun. Again, Newcastle, iconic yeah. Shaka Hislop and Pavel Cernicek. Those two, <laughs> those goalkeeper kits were amazing. Yeah. 
Uh, the Euros are about to kick off, and who can forget what they dressed uh, David Seaman in at Euro 96? Like, both of those kits were... Yeah, the Schmeichel 92 kit. <laughs> yeah, Schmeichel 92 kit. Uh, there was a few, there was all sorts of crazy, which they don't seem to do now. A lot of them are just very boring. Like, here's a yeah. bright, luminous color that makes the keeper stand out. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Okay. So, without further ado, we'll get into today's film, which is, as I mentioned when I was talking about my kit, it's about Eric Cantona. It is Looking for Eric, which is an introspective and real look at the escape from reality that football and its icons can provide to fans of the beautiful game. So it was released on June 12th, happens to be my birthday, uh, in 2009. A budget of £4 million, and it made £11 million, and it was filmed on location in Manchester. It stars Eric Cantona, Steve Evitt, and John Henshaw, who we've previously seen in The Keeper and When Saturday Comes, so he must be close to getting some kind of match day matinee <laughs> fellowship award at this point, I think, guys. Um, and Lucy Joe Hudson is directed by Ken Loach, who famously directed the movie Kez, who we may visit revisit one day as it's sort of a football film. And Looking for Eric is considered fresh on Rotten Tomatoes with an 85% rating from Rotten Tomatoes out of 99 reviews. Uh, Mark Hamer, we were chatting offline before about how you mm. knew a little bit more about Ken Loach and either of us. My, I've only the only other film of his I've watched is uh, Kez. Yeah, and that's because my dad um, loves that film. I've always had a soft spot for Ken Loach because I'm a bit of a pinko lefty socialist sort. Um, <laughs> And his films have always been about sort of like downtrodden working class um, sort of uh, sort of stories in, in like post-industrial Britain. Um, mostly um, he did one film set in like the Irish Civil War, uh, but on the whole, that's the sort of wheelhouse he works in. Um, he's been very involved in politics. He was a big supporter of Jeremy Corbyn. He's been on Question Time a number of times. I've seen him in a, in a number of debates talking about politics. So I've always had a, uh, I've always been a big fan of him. I've got to say, this is the first one of his films I've watched that I've actually enjoyed. Um, I mean, I, I love all of his films, but you, you don't really, you don't really say like, you know, what, I'm really in the mood to watch Kez or I'm really in the mood to watch. Yeah. I Daniel Blake, yeah, or something like that, because they are relentlessly depressing. Yeah, even this film kind of it kind of benefits oh, from you having. Need to know. Oh, how did that happen? How that is the first ever time I've done that. Nope. Wait. Stop muted. Yeah. Oh, that's the first ever time I've done that. I don't even know how I managed to do that. Just call the space bar or something. That's embarrassing. Uh, so yeah, I was going to say it's, this film somewhat helped by having kind of a lot of comedic actors but yeah otherwise it's a yes. pretty depressing story um so yeah yeah he, he doesn't do like straightforward uplifting stories no. uh no. so yeah so we're going to get into the plot a bit i've written a bit of a description again which goes into some of the details of this film and then we'll have a more in-depth chat about what each of you guys think so we meet Eric Bishop, who's driving the wrong way around a roundabout as a result of some trauma, which we'll learn about later. We learn at this point he is a football fanatic postman whose life isn't going too well. He's a single, looking after two stepchildren who've been left with him. His house is in a state of disrepair, and the young lads that he's looking after, Ryan and Jesse, show him no respect. It's pretty clear that Ryan is mixed with a bad crowd, which we later learn is the case of him hiding a gun under the floorboards of the bedroom for a violent drugs baron. Um, we see some footy early on with a great Cantona goal side footing into the net against Tottenham, a header against Wimbledon and a great first touch against Manchester City amongst others. Uh, looking after his granddaughter brings him back into close contact with his ex-wife Lily, who he abandoned after the birth of his daughter Samantha. After an hilarious meditation session with his fellow meat, uh, postman in which one of the characters is called Meatballs, tells them that they can all breathe through their ass for all he wants whilst imagining who they wish to emulate, including people such as Sammy Davis Jr., Fidel Castro, and Nelson Mandela, Eric decides that he most wants to emulate Eric Cantona, the king of football, the best footballer that ever lived. After smoking some weed that he steals from his stepson, hallucinations bring forth his footballing hero, one Eric Cantona, who starts to give him some advice. We found out we find out that his daughter needs him and his ex to coordinate caring for the granddaughter, and that's what led to him going around the roundabout the wrong way. Uh, we get some brilliant quotes during some of these scenes from Eric Cantona, include as he battles his inner demons through these metaphysical conversations. We get, 
I feel like I'm looking down on myself like a fucking scabby dog. Stick your proverbs up your fucking ass. I'm still getting over the seagulls one. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So, with Eric's help, Eric is able to sustain a new relationship with Lily. He discloses to her that he's been essentially having panic attacks for most of his life. Eric uh, finds the gun and confronts his stepson. Ryan admits to his involvement in the drug gang and Eric attempts to get the gun back to the drug lord, but this backfires when they lock him in a car and set a Rottweiler on him. This footage ends up on YouTube and Eric is humiliated. Despite this, they do still manage to have a family dinner and everything's getting back to somewhat normality. You get the sense that the two stepsons are really starting to engage with Eric as his mental health improves. Um, this lovely scene is broken up as the house is raided by police looking for the gun, but they failed to find it because good old Herrick hid it inside a chicken. Uh, Cantona then advises Eric Bishop to seek help from his friends and to surprise himself with how far he can go. Eric gets all his mates together down the pub and they create Operation Cantona, sneaking dozens of Manchester United fans wearing Eric Cantona masks that I thought at one point some of them looked like Tamer Hussein, for people that have ever seen Football Factory. Um, so they go into the gangster's house, wreck his car and furniture and humiliate him by spraying him with super soakers full of red paint. They threaten to put the whole video onto YouTube, uh, which includes an oper- uh, confession from him that the gun does belong to him. Uh, the gun gang gets smashed up on some beautiful Italian paving tiles. The fans get back on the bus, and Meatball yells at one, telling him to hurry up, calling him Cantona. He takes off the mask to reveal it's actual Eric Cantona, making it appear that he was part of the quest. Uh, we can talk about that later. The film ends at Sam's graduation day, where family and friends are all present, and Eric's wearing his famous blue suede shoes from the past, and he finally musters up the strength to give Lily a hug. Cantona is not in sight, Therefore, implying that Eric Bishop is somewhat on the way to mentally recovering from his panic disorder. So, guys, that was everything that happens in this movie in a rather long <laughs> nutshell. I'm going to have a drink whilst one of you tells me what you think about it. I'll go. I'll go first. Um, I thought it was, I enjoyed it, like Mark was saying, um, despite how depressing it was at certain points. Uh, it was kind of strange to suddenly shift tone in the third act like it did. Um, it was almost like if you're watching Joker and in the third act, he becomes like the zany Joker from the 90s movie as opposed to the <laughs> sociopath that he is in the 2019 version. Um, but aside from that, there was like a really great character journey in it where Eric kind of battles his demons and uses uh, the advice of his friends from the beginning of the movie, which is kind of nice. You don't really see kind of men sitting around and getting in touch with their emotions and feelings in these movies um, as much as you do overbearing fathers being abusive. Right. So yeah. to see kind of men, in a little circle getting together and kind of giving one of their friends and need advice and him actually taking that advice, uh, not directly, but through a weird kind of um, I don't know what you would call like that kind of plot device. It's not like an unreliable narrator, but it's um Tricky uh, hallucination. You know, know what I mean? Yeah, like a yeah. Tyler Durden type character. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was cool to see that. And then I could have done without the the zany third act scenes of them foiling this uh, drug dealer in their little madcap adventure. Uh, I would have liked to have seen more focus on him and Lily, um, mm-hmm. kind of mending their relationship, or him kind of building that bridge with his daughter. But all in all, pretty good movie. Um, I'll just say we have to get back to some actual football films eventually, as yeah. opposed to <laughs> that's the thing football about as a backdrop. It's weird. We get a lot of those films where football's as, uh, like football's the thing that fuels the plot along and is actual less football. Yeah. But in this, it's almost another step removed where it's like the passion for football fuels the plot and allows a man to become his better self without actually there being any football involved, really. Like, halfway through the film he no. doesn't go to a game because he's too busy looking after his granddaughter like there's no actual football in this that's fueling him other than realize him like internalizing the brilliance of Cantona and using that as inspiration it's like you said like it's a weird like tyler durden situation is kind of the same yeah. thing except for in that he realizes like a terrible version of himself but uh <laughs> so yeah it's definitely we do have to get back to actual films telling a football story but uh yeah but i, th- I thought it was i when you look at it from the perspective of eric cantona is not really there it's his version of cantona hmm. so you get this guy who's only speaking in proverbs for the almost the entire movie right yeah 
Um, so there is some like some depth to that element, but Mark, what did you think? Yeah, um, just to speak to that point, it's it's, it's quite funny. when he first shows up in his room and he turns around and, and Cantona's there and he says like, "Go and speak some French." And the only French he comes out with is "Je suis Cantona." Yeah, <laughs> it's like it's like the, like the most basic French that anyone would know. That and then he would know himself. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. There's like a few points during the film where he either says like almost Del Boy sort of French phrases, or <laughs> yes. sounds like just like utter nonsense that sounds like French but isn't actual words. Yeah, like he's never actually speaking in French because it's it's not. It's it's his yeah. projection of Cantona. Um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, the same the, the 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 sort of finale of the film. Like having being familiar with with Kenoch's work, I was very much braced for the film to have a much darker ending. I did not envisage it having a happy ending at all. Um, but yeah, it it does. It kind of takes a weird left turn, and it's it's more. It's it's more like a the, the actualization like the the, the 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 realization of the of the meatballs and and spleen characters and their whole story of like trying to raise him up and support him um, rather than uh, what it should have been like you said like uh, him repairing the fractured relationships in his life. Well, he kind of does. He he repairs the the relationships a little bit with his uh, with his stepsons, but the the um, the resolution with the love interest is a little bit abrupt I thought yeah I, yeah. I get what you're saying because it's kind of like they have you see them in that scene reminiscing uh, over a cup of coffee and they kind mm. of here he has that dancing scene with Cantona where he's dancing and then he's back when they're kids but that's all internalized and they have that conversation and she's magically brought his like blue suede shoes from when they used to enter dancing competitions but yeah from her perspective it's like what did he do to earn this big gesture happening it's like nothing and the same with the daughter right the daughter it's seemingly enough for her to just see both her parents sat on a wall talking to each other for her to be like Mm -hmm. oh okay if you guys are cool then we're cool too um yeah the sons make a little the stepsons make a little bit more sense because he gets ryan out of a real grind and then the Mm. issue is that uh, the gangsters threaten to kill Jesse, the other son, if that, anything happens with that gun. So I think they recognize, oh, shit, he, like, sorted us out and we'd possibly yeah. both be dead if he hadn't have done that. So that makes... Mm. And that's why they go and reconcile with Lily towards the end of the film. They go to the clinic or whatever it is that she works at and talk to him. But, yeah, it's enough of these things. There's just not enough time to have it all in a film like it's two hours long already or just shy of two hours long a lot of this Mm. film is clearly his internal monologues with Cantona and Cantona's like the star on here kind of showing off his like oozing charisma in every scene and uh, yeah it's also it's a sort of a hallmark of Ken Loach's he's he's not a concise director he likes to take his time with scenes and let scenes breathe uh and most of the time that works which is why he's such a you know an acclaimed director but it it does mean that sometimes there's less room for i I imagine there there was probably quite a lot more left on the cutting room floor that would have filled that out but it was already two hours long um but yeah it's some some of that stuff feels a little bit a little bit thin but overall i you know i i really really enjoyed it yeah it's is that part of his other movies to have kind of these these action scenes injected into them i'm guessing not from what you've been describing not really i mean like there's there's moments of like um uh, short bursts of of outrage and 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 sometimes violence um but they're usually just very awkward and painful to watch um, like some of the scenes in I, Daniel Blake. Um, but it, nothing, nothing like this, this, the final scene in this film. It was so, so much out. It was, it was almost uh, like full on outright comedy. That final yeah. Scene. yeah, yeah. It's, 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 totally it's not was, in, yeah. it's so strange. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder if they, house. yeah. So I'm wondering if they did that maybe to appeal to a wider audience if they knew that they were going to have literally like King Canton on the poster, right? If, they are expecting to attract kind yeah, of a, a maybe. new and they needed something non like Kenwich audience. Stakes. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't make big I mean, like the biggest budget film I think he made was like the The Wind That Shakes the Barley, which had like Killian Murphy in and it and it looks like a much more 
produced film, um, a lot of Ken Burns' films, they're quite gritty the way that they're shot. He likes to work with a lot of non-actors as well. Um, sometimes in the main role, sometimes like, like this is a lot of the characters in the side that weren't actors at all. Um, but yeah, it's, it was a bit of an odd, a, a bit of an odd direction for that final, um, final act. But I, you know, I still enjoyed it. It was still um, funny. I will yeah. note that it's um, strange. Even even with everyone wearing like Eric Cantona masks, I could still recognize Justin Moore. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, which is yeah, spleen. Here's a question: yeah. Justin Morehouse. So when they're on the bus, mm-hmm. do you think that was a Peter Kay reference when he's like on the walkie-talkie? He's like, "Where are you? Where are you?" And then he's like, "Oh, I see you." It just reminds me of that scene with the Bolton fans and everything. Can you hear me? Hey, I can bloody yeah. see you. He's on a bus as well, and I was like, "Did they write that in as a little?" Yeah, it seemed too similar. I was half expecting him to drop some chips. Yes, exactly. Oh, you've dropped them, you dickhead. <laughs> when he's dropped them, uh, but yeah, Justin Morehouse is a really funny guy. He yeah. just lights up every scene he's in. Uh, People that haven't seen Peter K. Phoenix Nights should really watch it. His turning that as a uh, young Kenny is brilliant. Yeah. Um, With the tiger face paint. Yes. Justin Morehouse was the uh, FC United Manchester yes. guy, right? Yeah, and we yeah. didn't yeah. talk about that, that scene. That's that one really of my favourite scene. scenes. Yes. Uh, yeah, I love um, that scene. Especially in the context as we're living in this post-European Super yes. League breakdown. Like... I don't think there is a single Manchester United fan that can claim that that club has the best interests at heart anymore. Like, that's completely dead. Uh, Especially not the working class. Yes. So that seems a really good argument about... uh, So Justin Morehouse wearing an FC United Manchester shirt. They're watching the Champions League game in the pub. And they all kind of... A couple of the fans are yelling at him, being like, oh, why are you wearing that? This club is hours it always will be and then they have an argument about like how the roots were newton heath and they were tied to a railworks yeah. team and and they've already abandoned those ones like people don't care um and then the funniest bit is he gets so annoyed he leaves the pub and then the fans he was arguing with start celebrating as if there's been a goal and he rushes back in and everyone laughs at him it's just really good and this yeah. film's it's genuinely like a really funny film um yeah and that's the a lot only- of the the sort of comedic scenes were less like the, the ones that were like slightly less outrageous than that final scene. I thought were was so well done. There was that scene, the scene where um, right at the beginning when they're in the sorting house and they're trying to, to oh, cheer, cheer up, him up yeah. and they're taking turns going down and telling him jokes, telling him really and bad then, um, postman jokes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> really and then the scene when they're all in, um, <laughs> and the scene when they're all in Eric's living room. Uh, and Amiibles is teaching them how to meditate. Yeah, that seems so good. <laughs> oh, that's when he's like, do I it's like in three mouth felt? That's where he makes that quote about you can breathe out your asses. Um, yeah. one of them says, like, what is this shit we're doing? I'm not taking my pants off. Like, it's just like <laughs> it's just like all those stupid preconceptions that people do have about meditating. They just let it all out, yeah. and it's so far. I'll be honest, like that scene in the post office, there's one guy there with the with the beard. I couldn't mm-hmm. understand a single word he said. Mm. Do you, you know, know what I'm talking about? Do you know what's yeah. funny? You should say that. So my wife was walking past as I was watching that, and she said to me, how the hell is Mark going to understand any of this film? And it was that exact scene. <laughs> it was literally... I'm like, okay, I'm going to assume he made a joke. But it, it wasn't as bad as um, When Saturday Comes, the accents. Mm. Uh, there were no subtitles in this one. So a lot of stuff I had to, so here's my conundrum. So I had to turn the volume up to understand what they're saying. Then they would mm-hmm. start swearing and my daughter's in the house. So I have to lower the volume quickly. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's that so, one scene, isn't there? When he soaks his, the super soaker, he soaks his postman jacket. And he's like, fuck right. shit, bollocks, bollocks, fuck, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so loud. So and it's my- one hand on the remote and one hand on my notes, like <laughs> yeah. constantly up and down. That was another scene my wife had, and she was like, I want that as my alarm when I wake up in the morning, because <laughs> that's how I feel every morning. That's, a, that's just another hallmark of, of Ken Loach's directing, is that the, char- the, the characters in his films tend to talk in a slightly more like realistic conversational yeah. way, I'd say. So sometimes it is literally just mumbling, yeah. and it can, it can be hard to, to understand. <laughs> that's one of the things that um, Roger Ebert picked up on in this film, in his review, is he really struggled to understand a lot of the characters. Yeah. Oh, okay. Huh. I didn't read his review. I, I fully I agree he with that one. It, he gave it two out of four, I think I read. Yeah. Um, which is a fair score for him. 
Yeah. Okay, did you guys have any other favourite scenes or anything you wanted to highlight before we move on? Um, there was one scene where, I just forgot his name, was it um, the main guy, Henshaw? He comes in and they're trying to figure out how to how to outwit this guy and he has the book called psychos he's like psychos oh, psychopath don't yes. give a fuck yes. <laughs> <And> like, <laughs> there's another comedic but to be fair though why wouldn't that work because his book on meditating yeah. in reality did work yeah. like um, books yeah the having eric have somebody he admired and wanted to be like worked and then the other part of that meditation was imagining somebody there's something like imagining somebody you'd want to receive love from or who could love you or something yeah. And I guess that kind um, of works. So, like, there's a theme there that, hey, let's study this psychopath and we'll probably figure out what the hell to do. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was a really funny scene. And they're all like, yeah. oh, another book and stuff. And like, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I love those sub scenes. Like, they're a really yeah. accurate depiction of like an actual small local. Uh, mm. And it reminds me of my old small local, the Skipton, that I used to be able to walk to. Um, yeah. yeah, really fun scenes. Um, mm. Uh, yeah, so that's pretty much that film without talking about any football. Mm. Seems we're all pretty uh, hot on it for a non-football film. Uh, yeah. This is one of the last I films. Even I think I got, I think it was, what the hell is that company called? Is it Love Film? When they used to send discs. Yeah. Yeah. So I got yeah, this. They, they sent out um, all the Film 4 films, didn't they? Yeah. I, was, I don't know if it was Love Film was part of, was a Film 4 somehow associated so. with them in some way yeah. you guys didn't have columbia house is that like a north american thing i've never heard of it so no, you've no. never heard of columbia house no we had uh yeah no we had film for before netflix when they used to send dvds out we had uh, we had uh love film, love film. Yeah. yeah love film it's a rental service though <laughs> yeah 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 so they, would mail, they would mail it out to you like how netflix used to send discs out or what's that red box no, no. columbia yeah. house would be like you you get 30 movies for uh, one cent each. Oh, right. But then you got to pay for another 12 of them. And those next 12 movies are like $45 yes. each or something ridiculous. There used to be a lot of book clubs that were like that back in the day. Yeah. yeah. And they did CDs and as well. like record clubs as well. Yeah. yeah. And it's yeah, like, yeah, you definitely. pay way over RRP for the rest of their books. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then they send you one each month. You end up keeping it. So you end up with uh, garbage. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, cool. one of the actors, uh, the, the I think his name is Gerard Keynes, Kearns. Uh, oh Ryan is it Ryan the son, yeah the son who's in in a bit of trouble yeah so I looked him up uh, I was looking at the names and all that and he, he popped up so he's Ian in the original Shameless oh yes yes mm. he is yeah 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 and it made so much sense because I've only watched the uh, the US version of it but as soon as he it came up like that guy is the same character to a T almost yes hmm. I'd forgotten about that yeah he was in the UK Shameless yeah yeah. Is that worth watching? Yeah, it, I think it, I didn't watch it all the way through. I think it, I got the feeling I'd stopped watching it, just dragged on a little bit too long. Like a, English yeah. shows don't drag on as long as American, right? And sometimes you see a dip in quality. Um, yeah, and that's what the US version. Six, seven years or something. But I watched like <clears throat> the first three or four seasons of the UK Shameless are like brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll check it out. But yeah, if you enjoyed the US one, I'd recommend it. U.S. had the same problem. It went nine seasons, and the first, I think, six or seven were good, and then dramatic dip in quality after that. Okay. So that's going to conclude our talk for now about um, looking for Eric. So we're going to go back to some of our features we kind of had last time, but we're going to kind of talk about it now, just so that if you're only here for the movie stuff, you've already got all that. So number ones at the time of this release, top of the global billboard was Boom Boom Pow by the Black Eyed Peas, and top of the box office was The Hangover. So guys, what do you wow. think of... Uh, first one. Yeah, the first one, the opening of the trilogy. Um, it's interesting, right? When you don't see films like The Hangover now, because if you actually go back and watch it, it's kind of aged bad, even though it only came out in 2009. There's a lot of like slurs and stuff we wouldn't see in movies right now anymore. Mm. Or certainly we wouldn't see them in like a Hollywood blockbuster because it just wouldn't get that far. It wouldn't hit a critical mass. It wouldn't have the names it has in it either. Um, But yeah, that spawned a very successful trilogy of movies that I think sequentially got worse as they went on. I didn't mind Hangover 2, but I didn't really enjoy the Hangover 3. 
they managed to make the same film three times. Yeah, essentially. So, yeah. Yeah. Fair well. play. <laughs> yeah. I love part one. Part one came out uh, just as I was about to get married. And actually had my um, my oh, bachelor party brilliant. in Las Vegas, <laughs> so the whole thing was just like yeah, serendipitous. Would loved it. And then, what are your guys' opinions on the Black Eyed Peas? They put out a lot of catchy tunes, but they're mostly trash, in my opinion. I have no opinions on the Black Eyed Peas. <laughs> <laughs> I could go either way on them. <laughs> yeah, I think that. What's got- that um, Robert California quote about them from the US Office? Oh, it's like they're like rock music for people who don't like rock. They're pop for people who don't like pop. Something like that, yeah. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that was the number ones at the time. We're going to talk about football at the time now. So, Manchester United were the champions of England, but they did get beaten by Barcelona in the Champions League final for the th- mm. who Barcelona Barcelona won it for the third time, beating them two <laughs> 0 and becoming the first Spanish team ever to do a treble in MLS. Real Salt Lake was halfway through a season that would see them crowned MLS champions for the first time. Uh, Newcastle United, in honour of you, Mark, uh, were relegated after Joe Kinnear dipped. He actually had a heart attack and left yeah. his club legend Alan Shearer to pick up the pieces. And in Portsmouth Watch, this was ultimately Portsmouth's last successful season in the Premier League. We followed up our <laughs> FA Cup win with the UEFA Cup campaign and finished 14th in the league. This was a brilliant year in some regards because we had Peter Crouch and Jermaine Defoe up front until Jermaine Defoe pissed off back to Spurs in the January transfer window. Uh, and then he promptly TFC. went broke, right? Into TFC, yeah. He came to TFC first. Yeah. <laughs> 2009 was when TFC was within a hair of making the playoffs for the first time. Oh, okay. Uh, they went down to Giant Stadium on the last uh, match on the schedule. They needed a draw, and instead they got beat. I think it was four nil or five nil. It was, it was something terrible. And then um, they did a few locker room interviews afterwards, which is a distinctly like North American thing. Yes. I think they do it in non-league football in England a little bit. They yeah, do like okay. touchline that has that same vibe. It's, it's, yeah, so it's it's weird when coaches come over and they managers have a big problem with it lighting cameras in. A few of them had tried to stop that, but it's just part of the broadcast here. Uh, but they went into the locker room, they interviewed a few of the guys, and then that's when things started to pop up that there was something wrong with this team because we had first started in 2007, and we just kind of rode that wave of being happy to have a team. And then by 2009, those like problems started to bubble to the surface, and then that's when it kind of all went downhill from there. So it was a big turning point in TFC's short history. Mm. And then that ultimately led them on the route to where they ended up being a challenging team, I guess. Or do you think if they'd have made the no. playoffs then? Or no, there was, a long time. Um, there was a long decline then, actually, yeah. Yeah, that would have just hidden the problems. And then in 2012, we had, um, I think, an 0-9 start. And that's when we have the famous Danny Kuverman's quote of, we're the worst team in the world. <laughs> and then... Uh, we brought in a new GM at that point. They brought in Jermaine Defoe, the, the bloody big deal that was supposed to change things for the better. Uh, Defoe got homesick. He left, brought in Josie Altador, eventually Javinko, and then that's when we kind of mm. became uh, top shelf in MLS. There's another the model club here. somewhere in that period. John Carver was manager, and he used to be Newcastle right. manager as well. Newcastle manager, yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> See, it's all links up somehow. Oh, yeah. How did he ever get another job? Thing. I think on that t- 2009 club, we might have had uh, Laurent Robert as well yes. for yep. We've talked about four or five oh, matches. He played for yeah. all of our clubs, actually. He played for Portsmouth yeah. as well <laughs> for half a season. Beauty. Um, any memorable uh, moments of that relegation battle for Newcastle that you want to talk about? <laughs> I mean, no. I mean, this was the point where it felt like Mike Ashley was beginning to be spiteful. It wasn't just that he was running the club badly. He was like, do you know what? I'm going to make decisions to really upset the fans deliberately. <laughs> so he brings in Joe Kinnear, who'd been out in the wilderness for forever, was a dinosaur, um, didn't understand modern football tactics. He was awful. He got lots of play. He, he, he uh, one of his, I think it was his first interview. Uh, he swore a lot. Uh, he called um, he called Charles and Zogbia Charles Insomnia. He called Johan Kabai Johan Kebab. Um, <laughs> then he yeah. Then he was awful. Put us in the relegation zone. Promptly had a heart attack and, and pissed off. And then club legend Alan Shearer was sent out, having no managerial experience, was sent out to die. Um, 
And yeah, we went down. And you feel like he's been tarnished ever since then, Alan Shearer. Because when England went out of uh, the 2016 Euros to Iceland and Mm -hmm. people were angry, like Alan Shearer said, I would love to be a part of the coaching setup or at least the help pick the next coach or anything to do with it. They didn't approach him for it. He's just, he's stuck at a BBC now as a pundit. Like he's, I think he's just. Yeah. Is there I mean, tarnished completely by that, and it's not really. He fair did on him. the best he could yeah. with the resources and the experience that he had, which was no experience and no resources, and a team that was broken. Uh, and yeah, uh, he did the best that he could, but it wasn't enough to keep us up. Yeah, uh, it wasn't like a complete plummet. We went down on the last day. Yeah, so you, thanks, yeah, yeah. thanks to Villa. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, it was a it was a painful se- season, and uh, not not the last painful season I had to endure under Mike Ashley's tenure, and he's still there, like a tick. Yeah, he just can't get rid of. <laughs> no. Okay. I have to say though, I'm kind of glad he we didn't sell the club mm. last year because as bad as Mike Ashley is, he's not a human rights violating war criminal (laughs) who nearly bought the club yeah that is very true yeah okay so before we get to footy flicks and the ranking we are going to play a little game called play your players right so mark hamer you're in a (laughs) very lucky position as i guess you're going to try and beat our score uh which is currently at three okay um so this is a simple game. I'm going to tell you a stat of that Eric Cantona holds, and then you're going to tell me if the next player is higher or lower than that stat, and then okay. subsequently go through, and we will see how many you can get and whether you can set a new record. So you get one for free, so you've got at least one point as you come out of the door. Uh, and that one point is Eric Cantona. So the stat I'm going to ask you, Eric Cantona scored 81 goals for Manchester United in 180 appearances. So I'm going to tell you a player name, and I want to know if they scored more or less goals than Eric Cantona. In in the same number of appearances or just overall? Overall in their career. Okay. So the first one I have is Dwight York. Higher or lower goals than Uh, Eric Cantona? I'm going to say lower. That is correct. He scored 65 goals in 152 games. Hmm. Okay, next. Let's flick them. Still pretty good. Yep, still pretty good. The mm. next we have is a more recent player, uh, Marcus Rashford. So still playing today. Uh, okay. I should point out this is up until... Not that I don't want to affect you either way. Oh, no, it's up to current day. You're all good. Okay. So, yeah. um, so higher or lower than Dwight York 65? Lower? I'm afraid not. Marcus Rashford has scored 88 goals in all competitions in Manchester United in 271 games. Seems insane when you consider how young he is, but then he broke into the team when he was like 17, right? Yeah. He was smashing goals in for fun in the uh, Europa League, I remember. He spent so much time out on the wing, you don't think he scored that many goals. But even so. This is complete digression, but everyone's picking their England team for the Euros, and very few mm. people are picking Rashford in their starting lineup. If you look at his season, he scored 11 goals and 11 assists. That's not bad for a player out on the wing yeah. uh, with lots of other attacking options. He's done a pretty mm. good job. Yeah, um, he's good so, yeah. so, anyway, so you didn't beat the record. You only got two. Uh, uh. So, <laughs> Mark, you're still the reigning champion with three. Beauty. Okay, so footy flicks. So let's talk about the football in this movie. There isn't a hell of a lot. No. Uh, It's all basically highlight reels of Eric Cantona's best moments. Um, One thing that is very evident about watching Eric Cantona is just the way he moved around the pitch and his positional play and stuff. And there's a couple of scenes where Eric Bishop is talking to him about that. He's he's describing goals and he's like, there was that one against, I think he says Villa, where you saw the ball coming back towards you. You you marked the trajectory, you took a step back and you hit it perfectly. And and he talks about the last minute uh, goal he scored in the FA Cup final against Liverpool, where he's just at the edge of the box in the exact right time. Liverpool have players on the line and he hits it in the exact right point. Mm -hmm. And so... I think they do a really... There's no actual footage to watch. 
uh, or any actual acted out scenes, but we get really good footage and really good uh, like breakdown of those scenes and like what they meant to a fan at the time. Um, and then sort of a breakthrough in the film, I guess, a little bit is he's Eric saying, "Well, what was your favorite like moment in the pitch? It's got to have been this goal, this goal." And he says, "No, it was a pass, and it was a pass to set up Dennis Irwin." a Irish left back who was not renowned for his goal scoring but did score the odd belter um, and he kind of says to Eric sometimes it's about love and about giving and that's one of the breakthroughs for Eric's in the film so we almost see football as I was trying to describe before football not being that plot device but still kind of is a plot yeah. point for a character's mental health journey yeah, yeah. Relying on your teammates. Yeah. Relying on your friends. Yeah. yeah, and like how giving something can help people. And he kind of takes that attitude with the sons and stuff instead of yelling at them. Well, he does take mm. stuff away from them. He takes the TV away and stuff, but it's ultimately <laughs> to nurture that relationship. It doesn't seem like it at the time, but he is. I just, I remember that scene when they walk in and the guys are just sitting there watching porn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anybody who actually did that or does that. No, I've never understood that depiction of watching porn together it's like i've yeah. never been inclined to do that but no. these kids are anyway so what are the highlights for the football scenes for you guys were there any goals it's kind of hard to judge i mean they were all fantastic goals i mean i i like have no love for united at all mm-hmm. but eric hansen i was just so watchable yeah, like there aren't there aren't really many players like because he he was like he, he had decent pace but he was not particularly nope. fast. Yep. He was not particularly tricky with his feet. He was sort of like he was the sort of player um, you don't see very often these days that I've always had a soft spot for. Players like Dimitar Berbatov, who were just very very I don't want to say lazy, but like almost laid back. I mean, he would, he would push when he needed to, obviously, but he was just always in the right place at the right time. Uh, and you half expected him to just be standing there smoking a cigarette and just, just, you know, be where he needed to be. Um, and it was, uh, no, I don't, like, there, uh, there were times when he would like, when he'd score an important goal. And there was a couple of clips in, in the film where he's well, like the Liverpool goal, where his like celebration reaction was obviously like he just lost control and he was amazed that he scored it. But his like usual sort of score a goal and then he would just turn. To yeah, the crowd they showed that one against Sunderland. Just present himself. Yeah, yeah, like, like, yeah. Are you not entertained? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, he was like, yeah, I don't. I don't think we get as many players like this anymore because football's become so much more athletic and uh, so many teams rely on like a high press and stuff where you need all 11 men pressing and to have a player like this is kind of a luxury um, that I don't think you get anymore. You get those... Oh, sorry, go ahead. You you get those like flashes of brilliance and then paired with the like kind of theatricality from Zlatan where he just pulls off these amazing midair splits and then he recognizes it on the spot and just kind of plays to the crowd like, are you entertained, right? Um, But yeah, you're right. Like the players who are showing these flashes of brilliance are almost fans of themselves Mm -hmm. who Mm -hmm. point to the name on the back of the shirt and just dance around a bit, right? Nothing like Cantona where he scores and then he knows he's the coolest guy in the room, yeah, right? And he plays it. And he, he was. Yeah, like yeah. unquestionably, like he had, he had his, he had his own demons. He had his own, yeah. he had problems with aggression, but there were, they're just, they don't make players like him anymore. No, um, so many players are like so media trained to death. Yeah, um, yeah. like you would never the seagull quote that um, <laughs> gets referenced in this film. Like if you look up that. It's just utter nonsense. He's talking about a, a seagull going around a trawler or something. It's when just, the seagulls follow the trawler, it's yeah. because they think sardines will be thrown into the sea. Yeah. Mm. And he made it up on the spot, and he doesn't even know what it means. They've asked him later on. Yeah. He's just yeah. kind of like, I made it up on the spot, right? Yeah. And is, is there a footballer as cool as Cantona? I know you guys hate him, but like you can respect that. The total package around it, hate like the, the Nike adverts. Oh, I used to hate it the day. Kung Fu kick, Return of the King match, all of it. The fact um, that you, yeah, I don't know actually. He does. There are players I think. Uh, there are players who, th- who who have come close to it and probably think they're as cool as him. Like 
like Zlatan. Um, but then they're not they're not quite on that level. Uh, no, I don't. I don't honestly. I don't think there has been a player that's been quite. No, I, it's why he was like the perfect player, for the, the perfect character for the for that role. Is uh-huh. that I can't think of any other football, especially from like the nineties, who would have worked. And it's just that presence this, he has. Somehow, as yeah. a footballer, has the mm. same presence. Um, and he's done a bunch of acting outside of this too. It's worth noting. Yeah. He um, has been in a whole bunch of films. I think he's done like theatre performances and stuff as well. Mm. Uh, yeah, he was on 2010 stage production called Faced with Paradise. Um, I don't know if you guys saw. There's also a detective show with him that's on Netflix. It's a Netflix original. It's in French. I've, it's called uh, Inhuman Resources. Um, he's that's a bad that. name. Yeah, it's a really <laughs> weird name. Um, but yeah, he's in that. I think it's obviously translated. Uh, it's like a mini series. Um, he went on to manage the beach soccer team and play for them, and they won the beach <laughs> soccer World yeah. Cup, I believe. I think he was brand ambassador for the New York Cosmos, and yep, yeah. Was he like technical director for them or something like that? Yeah, there was no club. Whatever that means, there like there literally was no club at the time. I don't even think yeah. they were in the like fourth division of of U.S. soccer at that time. They yeah. just plastered him on a bunch of billboards in Times Square. <laughs> but yeah, he's a cool guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. The I'll never forget on his uh, he got dropped from the national team by I think it was Henri Michel his name and when he was asked about the decision he said he thought it was a bag of shit yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's just so many like I said you get all these players yeah. they're so media trained to death and it's boring a lot of clubs mm-hmm. put the same players forward every time for media duties um, it's just so boring and vanilla that's why the if people. <laughs> The England channel during world uh, during tournaments is really good now because they run a thing called uh, the Lions Den, and you get to actually see the players online. My wife doesn't care to know who any of the players are, but she'll watch that show because you you get a bit of personality out of them, and it helps you connect with them a little bit. Um, yeah. But like that's such a like effort to bring that forward in the modern era. Whereas for him, he just said what he wanted and didn't give a crap. <clears throat> Kicked people when he wanted. Famously, that fan as well. Like yeah. Yeah, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall in the United dressing room at, at any point during yeah. his time there. <laughs> there will never be that mystique again, right? Where he just drops a random proverb about seagulls or like yeah. even when he had the, I think he won like the FIFA, I don't remember which award it was, but he made some quote, like he made like a King Lear quote about like mm-hmm. wanton boys yes. to the, like fly to the wanton boys, we are to the gods, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the face of FIFA telling them that, like, you're going to abuse us players for every cent that you can get out of us and then toss us away, it, like, yeah. to, on the FIFA stage as he's accepting an award. And then they're just, they just clap in his face, like, yeah, okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're Cantona, we can't say anything to you. But, like, so somebody like that these days would make a quote about the seagulls. And then 10 minutes later, you'd see them on Instagram grabbing McDonald's. Yeah. You know what I mean? So all the mystique of it would be gone. Yeah. Yeah. And you could never have that again. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So yeah, one of a kind yeah. who will never see again. Uh, yeah. So that rounds up a slightly different footy flicks due to the lack of any but, actual footy, but it speaks to him as a footballer. Yeah. One last point about the footy flicks in this movie, how I think it's so important is that even if you don't know who Eric Antoine is, they set up his character within those like three or four minutes of the Return of the King um, highlights and just the best goals that he scores. So even if you're not a, like a footy watcher, you can immediately tell that this guy is a legend. Something, yeah. And then from there, yeah, you can watch the rest of the movie and you maybe you've never even heard of Manchester United, but you can appreciate who this guy is and how much kind of like uh, how revered he is by Eric Bishop. So I yeah, think it does yeah. a great job of that. that when Eric says to him, like, uh, he says something like, uh, um, you're a man or something like that. And he says, like, I'm not a man. Oh. I'm, I'm I'm good. Yeah. yeah, it's so good. And then he like smiles yeah. after that, and it almost feels like he yeah. broke for a yeah. second. Then because he's like, "That's fucking ridiculous." I just <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, really good. Okay, yeah. so next up we have rankings. Uh, this is actually going to be very difficult. So this is only our second episode of the season, and mm. the last movie we ranked was The Divine Ponytail. So in this instance, Mark Hamer, we would usually be asking the guests to 
if it's a film that they're particularly interested in, would be to like argue their cause and help me and Mark where we're going to rank the film. But I don't necessarily think we need to do that because I feel like this film's going to rank higher than The Divine Ponytail because we were both very lukewarm on that film. Mm. Um, there's way, like, when you consider how unpassionate that Divine Ponytail was ultimately, <laughs> this does a way more better job of making you care kind of thing. Yeah. So I feel comfortable with saying that this is the best football movie of season three so far. So ranking, Do you think by a, by a wide margin? By a wide margin. I think there's a long way between this and the Divine Ponytail. Personally. Yeah, it's it beats my heart because there was so much potential in yeah. um, Divine Ponytail. There's one we were super looking forward to knowing, hey, it's coming to Netflix, a bunch of people are going to watch it, and then it's like, actually, maybe they shouldn't bother. And a lot of people did watch it. I, I was surprised by how many people reached out and said, yeah, I watched it, I was disappointed by it. So Yeah, and it was uh, trending on that top 10 thing that uh, Netflix do. Yeah. So yeah, so it was popular that first weekend, for sure. Yeah. Uh, okay, so our rankings so far for this season are, in second place, uh, The Divine Ponytail, and in first place, Looking for Eric. Uh, once again, Mark Hamer, thank you so much for joining us today. Your first, uh, our first ever guest. Where can people find you on the internet if they want to check out things that you do? Uh, where well, they can find me alongside you uh, on the Laps Gamer Radio podcasts. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Basement Shacks. Um, you can find me on Twitch uh, and Basement Shacks as well when I do stream. Um, yeah, that's about it. Okay. Um, very cool people find you Mark I am on Instagram at A3Football and on Twitter at Mark83 and I am aducky84 on Twitch and joypads for goalposts on Twitter you can also check out that YouTube channel I did upload that video of that Dodge City Knockout City not Dodge City Knockout City which is a yeah. dodgeball game uh, Mark actually joined me for that it's a pretty fun game I believe we'll be when this episode drops we'll be in the midst of uh, E3 news bombshell after bombshell mm. you guys have anything planned for that on Labs Gamer? <sighs> I mean I don't know we probably could because they're at a more reasonable time uh, well for us over this side of yeah. the Atlantic they're at a more reasonable time this time there's no two three o'clock in the morning press conferences but mm. there's also like five press conferences and that's it yeah it's not, it's yeah. not a lot craziness yeah but yeah um, check we'll out about it for sure we'll definitely have a podcast where we talk about it for sure yeah um, and finally, uh, don't forget to hit us up on Twitter, Matchday Matinee, and subscribe to the YouTube channel and do all that jazz. And so until next time, from the terraces to the theater of dreams, we are Matchday Matinee. Thank you and good night. Good night.